Good evening, Australia, and hello to the rest of the world. Welcome to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. And speaking of censored and suppressed, um, I am unable to stream at this point in time to the Australian Vaccination Risk Network's page on, uh, on Facebook. It has been completely... Uh, cut out as far as any live streaming goes. So I'm only streaming on Facebook to my own page, the Meryl Dory page. And I'm hoping that those of you who are here and watching right now will be able to hit that share button and share it as far as you possibly can. Because uh, as I said in my intro on the page, uh, giving a live stream when there's nobody there to watch is just not that much fun. So Tonight, I have, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had an interview for earlier this week, but I canceled it with Mark Neugebauer. Um, he is a candidate in South Australia, and he's also the co-applicant in the AVN's judicial review case. And I just figured that it wasn't really worthwhile uh, interviewing such a wonderful person and someone with so much to say. Uh, if I wasn't going to be able to go live. So I put that off. Hi, Karen. Good to see you here. Um, I put that interview off, and I have another interview coming up on the 15th with um, Philip Altman, who is a 40-year expert on uh, pharmaceutical regulations in Australia. He's worked closely with the TGA, and he's also written a, uh, an affidavit for our court case um, in the federal court. So both of those interviews are very well worth seeing, but hopefully between now and then we'll be able to work out an alternative so that uh, the people who come to watch the, um, the program will actually have a place to watch it. Um, right now, Odyssey is streaming live, but it's not that easy to find on Odyssey. And DLive and what's the other one? Twitch are also streaming live, as is Twitter on No Compulsory Vax. So it's N O C O M P U L S O R Y V A C. So if you wanted to find an alternative location right now to watch this, you can go to definitely Twitter. Um, that's my personal page, and it will be streaming live there. But I don't know where else it's going to end up. But tomorrow, and I did put the links in the show notes, it'll be on Rumble, BitChute, Brighteon, and the podcast channels, as well as Odyssey. So you will be getting links to all of those tomorrow. Now, what I've done, because I don't have a guest, and I haven't done this for a very long time, but I think it's about time there is so much information to share, I have put about a lot of videos, I don't even know, I haven't counted them, short videos to share with you, and a lot of information. And even if you don't watch this live and you watch it on the um, recorded version, all of this information will be there and it's well worth seeing. I haven't done this for a while, as I said, but I think that um, there is so much happening right now that it's very hard to not be able to share some really important information with you. So I'm going to start with a quick video 
of Dr. Robert Malone, who is a vaccinologist. Uh, he claims to be the um, developer of the messenger RNA that is used in both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. And he has had an epiphany. Um, he's discovered something that probably all of us have known for many years, that vaccines were not actually the cause for the decline in deaths and mor morbidity from infectious diseases. I think there's a good chance as a vaccinologist, I'm embarrassed now uh, to, to learn what the actual data are about the efficacy of vaccines and what has really caused the decline in, in, in infectious disease in children. It's, it's, the data are quite clear. That decline basically parallels the improvement in sanitation prior to the implementation of the vaccines for almost all of these pediatric diseases. So were you guys able to hear that? Because when I first set it up, it was incredibly loud and I wanted to turn the volume down. But when I'm looking through it or looking at it and listening to it through Ecamm, the volume is very low for me. And I'm not sure if it's my headphones or if it actually has gone low for some reason. So if someone can let me know, that would be great. Yes, Karen, I will be doing an update um, for the appeal uh, in at the end of the show tonight. So I'm going to get through all of the updated information on vaccination first and then, okay, good. Thank you very much, Snowy, because on my end, it's incredibly low. It must be these headphones. Uh, they are quite old. So um, I, I have another pair. I probably should try and find them. Oh, good. I'm glad. All right. Fantastic. So I will be doing an update on the court case, if you don't mind sticking with me here. Um, now, this is a good news article. Um, D Denmark has suspended the COVID-19 vaccination program. That's not to say that they have withdrawn the, the vaccines you can, or if you want to call them vaccines, the experimental geno, um, genotoxicity shots um, if, or the bioweapons, as some people prefer to call them. What they have done is they've stopped recommending them and they have stopped sending out reminders to people as to when the next jab is due. So um, it is a really good sign that Denmark has done this. And the reason they have done it is because there are so many reactions and supposedly there is a drop in the number of new infections. But what they actually have is a drop in the number of people getting tested. So when you stop looking for something, hey presto, you stop finding it. So Denmark stopped testing routinely, which was an insane policy and the whole world is crazy forever putting up with that. And because they stopped testing, they stopped finding. And now they're using that as an excuse as to why why they have stopped uh, the vaccination program for COVID. But um, we know that the real reason is that the, um, that the actual uh, jabs are causing huge numbers of reactions and deaths like they are worldwide, as you will see in the next video that I'm going to share.
and hat tip to the Children's Health Defense where I downloaded that video. Um, it is the uh, it is a quite shocking situation right now where the healthiest people in the world, those who are the fittest and the most athletic, are also seem to be seem to be the ones who are most likely to die after the jab. There have been over 800 athletes who have collapsed on the field in just the last year. So since the beginning of 2022 to now, over 800 have collapsed. And in the last 150 years, there were less than a dozen. So um, we have quite a huge increase. And when I say that it is only the athletes um, that we're seeing, it is because it is only the athletes that are basically being reported in the media. If you go on to Google or DuckDuckGo or Quant or any of the browsers that you use, the search engines that you use, and search for the words in quotes, died suddenly or died unexpectedly, you will be flooded with reports of young people and people who were healthy who just suddenly killed over and died. And they don't always say that the person got the jab before, but the fact is that those words died suddenly and died unexpectedly. If you had looked for them two years ago, you would have found very, very few reports. And now there are so many of them. Yeah, Karen, I know. I, I can only tell you that um, the reason that this is being mucked around with by Facebook is because they don't want you to hear this. But if you go and look at um, the links that I'm going to share tomorrow, you'll be able to see everything without any problems whatsoever. So I do apologize for this. Yeah. Uh, you know, Maureen, it's so nice to see a skeptic here. How brave of you. Maureen Chuck is a card-carrying member of Stop the AVN. And sure, some athletes do use performance-enhancing drugs. But sure, performance-enhancing drugs were not the reason for athletes keeling over before the jabs came in. It just wasn't happening. So nice try. Nice try, Maureen. Um, okay, so I'm just going to, this is just a little something I got off of Senator Rennick's page. I don't know if it's real or not, but it's sort of, it shows you what's happening. Um, this is a Chinese restaurant and it says they're due to sporadic heart failure, vaccinated patrons pay in advance. I doubt very much that's true. My voice has died, you're saying? I hope that you can hear me now, Janet. Um, and I'd like to share, well, I don't like to share, but I will share this other video. As I've said before, I have spoken with probably several hundred people who took the jabs and have a great deal of regret as a result. But I have never yet met one person who did not take the jabs who regrets not having them. Okay, fantastic, Janet. It's just Facebook being up to its old tricks. So I'm just going to share this next video. It's very sad. I got the COVID vaccine because I'm vulnerable and my doctor told me to. I got the vaccine to do the right thing. I got the vaccine to make sure that my dad wouldn't get sick. I got the COVID vaccine because my husband kept getting exposed to COVID at work. I got the vaccine to protect my health. I got the vaccine to protect my friends, my family and my pa patients. I received the vaccine 
to help protect my patients. I got the vaccine to be able to travel. I got the vaccine to protect my dad and my husband. I got my vaccine because I wanted to help protect people and I wanted life to go back to normal. But now, now I'm injured. And then after I was sick, I was told I don't know what to do by doctors. My physician told me the vaccine couldn't do this to me and that I was healthy. My doctor said the second jab could kill me, but he later tried to blame something else. My doctor said that my symptoms could not have come from the vaccine. My doctor doesn't know what to do. My doctor said it's kind of like we're all guinea pigs because this is all so new. We don't really know how to deal with these reactions that we're seeing. I've been told not to share my story because it scares people. I have been told that I should have known better than to get the vaccine, or I told you not to get the vaccine. My fr friends tell me I got mine and I'm just f fine. I've had many people tell me that my injury is not from the vaccine. My family told me that I was just stressed and anxious. I had a friend tell me, well, I guess you're just one of the unlucky ones because I was fine. Someone close to me told me that I should be silent for the greater good. I have been bull bullied. I've had death threats. I've been made f fun of. I have been injured now for 10 months. Five months. For six months. 11 months. 11 months. 11 months. 11 months. 12 months. 13 months. Nearly four months now. For seven months. For 12 months. 13 months. I've now been injured for 13 months. No one knows how to help us. No one wants to believe us. And that is, unfortunately, the sad reality for so many people who have taken these jabs. They were never told that they were experimental. They were never told that they have not um, undergone long-term safety or efficacy trials. They were never told that it cannot prevent infection or transmission. Uh, they were never told the truth. They were lied to. And then when they were injured, they were thrown under the bus. And that is something that honestly should never be uh, happening to anyone. Oh, Cindy, I'm so sorry. Cindy says it's been six months for her. I hope that you've reported your jab. I don't know what country you live in, but whatever country you live in, please make sure that you report the reaction uh, if your doctor didn't do it. Um, most countries, you can do that yourself, and I hope that you'll be feeling better. There are some great protocols out there. Um, Dr. Zev Zelenko has a protocol. Dr. Robert Malone, who we saw at the beginning of the show, also has a protocol. So look up the treatment protocols for COVID vaccine injuries, and I hope that you will be able to recover from your um, reaction. Nobody should ever have to have that kind of reaction. Nobody should ever be forced to take a medical procedure, even if it's they're told that it's 100% safe and effective. It should always be our choice, our body, our choice. Now, um, there is another great, very short video comparing both the COVID um, infection rates and the vaccination rates between Australia and I think it's pronounced Niger. I used to say Niger, but I think it's pronounced Niger. Um, Africa, 
has less than 6% vaccination against COVID and their death rate and their hospitalization rate and their infection rate is virtually non-existent. So they must be doing something right and we are doing something very, very wrong. Okay, so look at that last picture. That's vaccination status. The first one was infection. Um, and Australia has many times the infection rate now that we supposedly have a 95% or higher rate of jabbing than we did before the jab existed. Now, if the jab is, is doing the job, even close to the job that we've been told it's done, um, then we should see fewer infections, not more. But look at the vaccination rate. Niger has, it's hard to tell, but it's probably under 10% vaccinated. And Australia, um, oh, sorry, that's per 100,000. It's not percentage. So um, they have about 10 per 100,000 versus Australia, which has close to 300 per 100,000, if I'm reading that right. Um, this is death, sorry. It said vaccination rate, but it looks like it says deaths. Cumulative confirmed COVID-19 deaths per million people. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I just read a comment. So Niger has a very low number of deaths and Australia has a shockingly high number of deaths. Leone just said, I don't regret not getting the experimental injection. Leone, neither do I. Neither do I. Um, Oh, okay, fantastic. Cindy Giles said, reported her, she reported her reaction after she was interviewed with me. I'm assuming you mean on the Vaxxed bus. I'm trying to remember. I'm so sorry. Thank goodness you told me what test to ask for. Okay, I'm very glad, Cindy. That's good. And um, hopefully you will be feeling better soon. So this is what happened between a country with a very low vaccination rate and a country like Australia which even though I don't think the vaccination rate is anywhere near um, what the government is saying, it is still higher than it is in Niger. And um, the results are obvious. The vaccine is not only not working, it is counterproductive. It is leading to more cases and more deaths. Um, now, this is a report. I want you to remember, um, way back two years ago, two and a bit years ago, we were told to... Um, stay at home, 
and to social distance, wear masks, all those things in order to um, stop the curve, you know, flatten the curve, because the hospitals were going to be overwhelmed with people, you know, reporting in with COVID. They were going to be lining up in the hallways. There were going to be ambulances lined up outside, and there weren't going to be enough doctors and nurses to take care of everyone. Um, that never happened. Uh, the hospitals were empty for the most part, and we never had the lineup of people before the jabs came in. This is a very recent mainstream media report about Queensland hospitals uh, now. Tonight we can show you frightening images inside Queensland's ramping crisis. Ambulance after ambulance double parked outside one of Brisbane's busiest hospitals. Hundreds of patients are being left on stretches every night, waiting hours before receiving treatment. 6.30 last night, ambulance gridlock at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. These images paint a fresh picture of a health system in distress, leaked by a frontline emergency worker. Queensland has the highest ambulance ramping in the nation. And now it's holding police hostage. Inside sources telling Nine News officers are being forced to wait in their vehicles for long periods of time with mental health patients requiring critical care. They didn't sign up to be de facto paramedics. They signed up to keep law and order in this state. Acting Premier Stephen Miles concedes the government needs to do more, but says hospitals are dealing with a perfect storm. Hundreds of health staff followed due to the pandemic, combined with a sharp surge of presentations at emergency wards. Most of our major hospitals still have entire wards dedicated uh, to COVID patients, so that's still having an impact on the supply of beds. Disturbing new data from Queensland Health shows the extent of the problem here at Ipswich Hospital, with up to 56% of patients forced to wait on stretches or in corridors for more than 30 minutes before receiving treatment. If you make a call in Ipswich, there is a greater than one in two chance that an AMBO will not turn up and get you off that stretcher in time. Uh, the average wait time to transfer from an ambulance into an emergency department was 33 minutes. Uh, that compares to our target of 30 minutes. While the state government calls for more health funding from the Commonwealth, the opposition says it's blame shifting, raising questions over Queensland's $190 million WellCam quarantine facility. $200 million would have employed over 2,000 police recruits, graduate nurses, medical interns. These are real jobs that would help alleviate the health crisis that we've got in Queensland. Health bosses are tonight putting... Okay, there's two things I want to say about that report, aside from what I've already said about how before the jab was brought in, the hospitals were not overwhelmed, and now they are. Um, the representative from Queensland Health stated that the hospitals were filled with COVID patients. They are not filled with COVID patients. They are filled with patients who have reacted to the COVID jab or have gotten COVID after being jabbed or, you know, have gotten an infection that they're calling COVID after they're being jabbed. So, you know, that's number one. 
and number two, I'm hoping I can remember what number two was. Um, it was something they said right at the very end. Yes, they said that the $200 million or whatever it was that the government spent um, could have been spent employing police officers and nurses and doctors. Well, the fact is that thousands of police officers, doctors and nurses, as well as teachers, were fired because they refused to take the jab. So if you want staff in the hospital, get rid of the goddamn mandate and hire the people back who you fired in the first place with back pay. If you can afford $200 million for beds, you can afford to pay these people. Um, and that's what I wanted to say about that. Now, children, children are so much in the um, firing line when it comes to these jabs. There are several reasons for that. Number one, about 20% of the population are considered to be children, so that's a lot of money in pharma's pocket. If they can't get these kids jabbed, they're going to be losing out on money, and who cares if you harm kids if you're pharma? Pharma never, never cared about harming anyone. Um, in fact, some people say that's one of their reasons for being. I don't know if that's true, but they certainly act as if they don't care. Um, and the other thing is that in the United States, at least, uh, in order for the jabs to continue being indemnified, the, the drug companies to continue being indemnified, they have to be added to the childhood vaccination schedule. So that is, that has been the end game since these jabs came out. Get them into the babies. Once you get them into the babies, then the pharmaceutical industry remains totally immune. The only immunity from this jab is for the from the pharmaceutical companies. They are immune to prosecution and any financial responsibility, even if they knew the jabs didn't work and were dangerous. So here we have Moderna, which is one of the two messenger RNA vaccine manufacturers. They are asking the Food and Drug Administration in the United States to authorize the COVID jab for children aged five and younger. Um, they're actually asking for it from the age of six months. And the FDA has said that they've acknowledged the need to do their due diligence in authorizing a vaccine that goes into the smallest children. Well, one has to re re um, ask the question, is their due diligence going to be the same due diligence they did when authorizing the vaccines for children from the ages of 5 to 12 or 6 to 12 in the United States? Because we had Dr. Rubin, who was on the committee that authorized these jabs. Um, they're not approved. Remember, they are all experimental, but authorized these jabs and said, we will never know if they are safe or effective until we administer them. So as a parent, uh, how does that make you feel when you have the regulators who are supposed to be looking after your family's health saying, well, we don't know if this is going to work. We don't know if it's going to be safe, but let's just give it a shot. <laughs> Literally, let's give it a shot. And if it harms you, them's the breaks, you know, and we had to try it. That's the only way we're ever going to know if it works and it's safe because we can't possibly put it through clinical trials, which is what we've always done in the past. We can't possibly do scientific testing. No, 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 no. We just have to give it. 
And these emergency use authorizations, these provisional approvals, now that the Pandora's box has been opened, well, they're open for everything. Almost every single new drug, new vaccine that has been put onto the market since the COVID jabs came out are applying not for regular license, but for emergency use authorizations. The two drugs that, are, that have been repurposed to be used um, supposedly to make COVID easier uh, are both authorized under emergency use, even though there is no emergency. And what we were told from the very beginning was that the only reason these jabs were given EUAs, emergency use authorizations, is because there were no other treatments available. If there was a treatment available, then they couldn't have an emergency use authorization. Now, there are supposedly treatments available that are much more likely to kill people than the treatments that the government is suppressing, like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. No doubt this is going to be blocked just because I said those words. But um, these, these new treatments like remdesivir, like molnipura, I cannot pronounce mol. Molnipuravir. I have no idea how to say that. I, I interviewed Dr. Jane Ruby, and she told me um, several times how to pronounce it, but I've got a mental block over this. And the other new drug that um, I can't remember. But um, if you want to know more about these drugs, I highly recommend that you read um, Robin Shooter. She's an Australian naturopath and researcher. She does amazing research and she has a substack. Um, so I highly recommend that you read her substack because she's done some really amazing articles about these uh, drugs that I just think you need to be aware of. Um, and yes, Alyssa, there is no safety and there is no liability. There is only profit for the pharmaceutical industry, for the government who is owned by them, and for the media that is their mouthpiece. Absolutely. So yeah, me too. Jane Ruby is just, she is a force of nature. She's amazing. She's, she really and truly has her finger on the pulse of things. Um, so... I just wanted to show you this, that yes, the children are being targeted here. Uh, now there is something else, and I'm going to talk more about children in a minute, but there is something else that's very, very important. It is um, something, a move that's afoot, and governments around the world are planning on taking away our sovereignty, totally nullifying our constitutions without any referendum, without ever letting us know anything. And it's all in favor of the World Health Organization. The world has come together before to dispel the temptations of isolationism and nationalism, to address the challenges that could only be achieved together in the spirit of solidarity and cooperation for peace, prosperity, health, and security. The COVID-19 pandemic is one of the biggest challenges we are facing. It's been a stark and painful reminder that nobody is safe until everyone is safe. There will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. Together, we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, detect, assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. 
The 194 member states of the World Health Organization resolved to work together towards a new international instrument for pandemic preparedness and response. This renewed collective commitment is a milestone in stepping up pandemic preparedness at the highest political level. Such an agreement rooted in the World Health Organization Constitution could strengthen existing international health instruments, especially the international health regulations, and provide a firm and tested foundation on which we can build and improve. The agreement also has the potential to foster an all-of-government and all-of-society approach, strengthening national, regional, and global capacities and resilience to future pandemics. This could include greatly enhancing international cooperation to improve alert systems, data sharing, research, and local, regional, and global production and distribution of medical public health countermeasures such as vaccines, diagnostics, and personal protective equipment. The agreement could also recognize the one health approach that connects the health of humans, animals, and our planet. To achieve this, WHO will support its member states in their work and facilitate the involvement of relevant stakeholders, including from civil society and the private sector. Pandemic preparedness needs global leadership for a global health system fit for this millennium. To make this commitment a reality, we must be guided by solidarity, fairness, transparency, inclusiveness, and equity. How many buzzwords could you count in that short two-minute video? So many. I've just taken a few notes here. Um, first of all, I want to let you know what, what they are trying to make sound wonderful. I got that video off of the World Health Organization's own website. Uh, it's chilling, absolutely chilling. Uh, and what they are trying to push is a one-world government. Uh, they may make it sound like that's not the case, but they are saying that in the case of a pandemic, and as we've seen with COVID, all they had to do was say there was a pandemic. They redefined the definite, they, they redefined um, infection, they redefined immunity, they redefined vaccination, and there's something else. Oh, herd immunity also. So all of those were redefined in order to make COVID into a pandemic. So they can turn around tomorrow and they are, we, we can see, it says there will be another pandemic. Well, there will be because they're going to declare it. Whether or not there is one, they will declare that there is a pandemic. Once the World Health Organization declares a pandemic, every country that has signed this preparedness treaty, and Australia is considering it, the United States is considering it because Biden is president and he's brain dead. Um, every country that has signed this treaty gives up their sovereignty. The World Health Organization's constitution supersedes our own constitutions and we lose any ability to say yes, no, whatever. We lose the ability to be sovereign individuals, to be citizens of Australia. Um, nobody will be safe unless everybody is safe. Well, while the World Health Organization and our dictators in these countries that are supposed to be democracies are in power, none of us are safe. We need to get rid of them. We need to get rid of the World Health Organization. This is something that Donald Trump, whether you love him or hate him, he wanted to get rid of the World Health Organization. He wanted to get rid of the United Nations because these bodies are 
simply trying to control the world with the World Economic Forum, with Bill Gates, with all of these horrible creatures who I can't even consider human. Um, they are trying to control the world. And if that means your death or your impoverishment, so be it. They absolutely do not care. Um, uh, one Health. Yeah, they talked about One Health. Uh, this comes back to the idea of public health. Now, public health has never sat well with me. Um, while we have public health, we are willing to accept that some people are going to have to suffer and die for the greater good. There is no such thing as public health. There is my health that I am responsible for. There is your health that you are responsible for. And there is the government who needs to get out of our health completely. They can't run a country. They can't run a post office. They can't run anything without totally messing it up. And we expect them to keep us in good health? Uh-uh. No way. The government needs to get right out of our health. We are private individuals. We need to take care of our own private health. And uh, what they said in, the, um, in that video from the World Health Organization, as I said, is really, really chilling. Now, part of that uh, trying to control what people think, and we've seen this in spades for the last two years, is trying to demonize anyone who has made a choice different to what the government and the world government is saying we should be doing. So this, this headline, word for word, this headline has run in countries around the world uh, in English. So it may have run in other languages, but I only know English. So mixing with the unvaccinated increases COVID-19 risk for the vaccinated study finds. Now this study was a piece of rubbish that was simply pharmaceutical propaganda. But think about it. Use your critical thinking skills for a minute. I know you watching this. Maureen Chuck, if you're still here, this does not apply to you. Um, your critical thinking skills will tell you very clearly that if you are, if the vaccine will only protect you until you are actually exposed to someone who may or may not have COVID, um, then the vaccine's not protecting you. If you have taken a jab and that jab says it's going to reduce your risk or protect you in any way from an infection, and then you get the infection anyway, the jab didn't work, don't blame it on someone else. But here we have a headline in English-speaking newspapers that is saying, telling people you should be afraid of anyone who's not taken the jab, even if they are healthy. If they are healthy and you get sick, it's still their fault, okay? So you need to be pointing the finger at them. They need to be separate from society. You can't deal with them. Even if they're in your family, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. Driving the families apart, driving society apart, making people hate. That headline is hate speech, okay? That should be illegal. It's definitely unscientific. It's definitely untrue, and it should be illegal. Um, that said, if people were able to think critically, it wouldn't matter because they would look at that and they'd say, what moron wrote that? 
uh, because it's so stupid it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So we have, be aware of this because we have the governments and the media colluding with the pharmaceutical industry to uh, sow hatred and discord in society. And the only way to overcome that is to speak our truth. Um, Alyssa says her sister has stopped talking to her. That's happened in so many families. And Alyssa, it's painful, it really is. But you know what? The truth is starting to come out. And I have seen so many posts on Twitter, on Facebook, in so many places where people have said, my friend, my uncle, my cousin, my father came to me last week and said, you were right all along and I really apologize. And I hope that your sister will reach that point soon. I really do. Because it's, it is, the tipping point has been reached, I think, and more and more people are waking up and hopefully your sister will turn off her TV. I'm making an assumption that she watches a lot of mainstream news and start thinking for herself. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I really do. I really am. Now, influenza. We haven't heard about the flu for a couple of years, strangely, um, where we had X number of cases of flu we now have X number of cases of COVID and flu is virtually non-existent. But don't worry, because the influenza is coming back. Here's Dr. Kerry Chant from New South Wales. Also got to accept that we're going into flu season. So the last few years, we really have not seen flu. The measures we put in place to tackle COVID were so effective at controlling flu. But now we're actually seeing a little uptick um, it's up sitting about 1.3% positivity and that data is released every week in our epidemiological report. But as that progressively goes up, it, in, it indicates that flu is likely to co-circulate. I do not have a crystal ball, so I know that there's been a lot of people um, speculating on whether we'll have a mild, moderate or severe flu season coexisting with COVID. But what I know is the measures we've put in place for COVID so those wearing a face mask when you're in crowded um, outdoor spaces, making sure you're maintaining that face mask in public transport and other settings, making sure that you isolate when you've got an infectious disease and coughed and cold and get tested. Those, are, those steps will also help us reduce both flu and COVID tran transmission. So, you know, we have to have some kind of fear. COVID has to stop at some point, but we can't lose control. We've got to keep people in masks. We've got to keep them social distancing. We've got to make sure that everybody gets every jab going. And the way we do that is by bringing influenza back, because after all, Australia is going into winter. It's flu season. And here is Dr. Brett Sutton from Victoria, I've listened to this a few times, and I actually got this also off of um, Gerard Rennick's uh, Facebook page. If you don't know him, he's a wonderful senator from Queensland who tells it like it is. And listen very closely to what Brett Sutton says, and tell me if you agree with me. What you know, can we start to tell the difference between influenza and COVID, systems, COVID symptoms for sure now? Um, it's not an easy thing to differentiate and so, uh, you know, get that COVID rat test or, or COVID PCR test if you have got any of those compatible symptoms. Um, but flu uh, looks very much the same and in fact for people who um, are vaccinated against COVID, it, it might be 
a much more significant illness with the high fevers, the terrible headaches, the can't get off the couch. People really genuinely feel like they're hit by a truck. Okay. First of all, he affirmed that the symptoms of COVID are virtually indistinguishable with the symptoms of the flu, which might explain very clearly why flu disappeared when COVID rose. The, the issue is that when the government wanted to push, and I'm saying the government, when the world government wanted to push that we were having a COVID pandemic, they simply stopped testing for flu. You don't test for it, you don't find it. And what they did was they tested asymptomatic people, people who were perfectly healthy, never been done before, except with HIV, and that's another story. But they started testing people who were totally healthy and using a test that was set up to determine that you were infected, even though it was incapable of determining that, and was run at a very high cycle threshold so that even if you had no virus in your body, it would find a virus. Uh, so they, they set this thing up for us to fail and them to succeed. But at the end, he said that if you have been vaccinated against COVID, then you may find that the flu symptoms are even worse and that you may feel like you've been hit by a truck. So. To me, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not hearing it right, I'd love to know what you think, but to me, he actually said that being vaccinated against COVID can make influenza worse. And if that's the case, then why are we giving the jab out? Why? I don't understand it. Um, no, Fred, we don't have a functioning health system in Australia. And the whole idea of a health system, as far as I'm concerned, like I said, there's no such thing as public health. Well, there shouldn't be such a thing as a health system. We should simply be taking care of our own health. How crazy is that? And if we were able to make these decisions and uh, decide with our with our feet, basically, walk away from what doesn't work and run towards what does. Most medical doctors would be out of business. Most hospitals would be empty most of the time. And most natural therapists would be so run off their feet, you would not believe it. So um, it is a sickness system. You're right, Tracy. It's definitely a sickness system, not a health system. And we don't need the government to tell us who to go and see. We don't need the government to push drugs and vaccines at us. We need the government to get out of our lives. We need them to pick up the garbage, to build the roads, to build the bridges, um, and very little else, to be honest with you. The older I get, the better anarchy looks. Um, and that may sound crazy, but honestly, I believe it. I believe it. So let's go back. We've talked about how flu is coming back and COVID might be going away. So here we have the mortality, the death rate from COVID. The mortality rate, according to this, is 0.68%. So that's higher than influenza, if you believe that figure. We also know that the diagnostic criteria for a death from COVID is if the doctor involved thinks 
that COVID might be responsible for the death, even if they haven't tested the person, then COVID is put on the death certificate. We've seen this so many times with people who've died in car accidents, people with cancer, they have had COVID put down. So the, the death rate for COVID is inflated, seriously inflated. But look at the average age of death, 81. That is higher than the average age of death in Australia for all people. So where is the evidence that COVID is killing people before their time? There is no, um, there is no evidence of this. There is absolutely no evidence of this. And with children, we, we started vaccinating the five to 11 year olds in January. And since then, we have seen nothing but trouble, and it's not just Australia. Um, this is from uh, the Journal of Hepatology. It's all about the liver. Uh, Immune-mediated hepatitis with the Moderna vaccine no longer a coincidence, but confirmed. And I'll just read out what's highlighted here. Our case demonstrates conclusive evidence of vaccine-induced immune-mediated hepatitis with a rapid onset of liver injury after the first Moderna dose, which on re-exposure led to acute severe autoimmune hepatitis. So we have, this is a medical journal saying that it's proven that it causes this. Now this is from the DAEN, the TGA's database, and these are um, cases of um, liver disease, liver injuries after COVID jabs. Uh, I don't think that this one actually distinguishes between the jabs, just COVID jabs. And notice number of cases where a single suspected medicine was involved 100%, except for the um, hepatitis there, there's one that's not necessarily from a single cause. And why do I bring up this liver involvement? Why do I bring up this hepatitis issue? Because worldwide right now, um, there are cases of very serious hepatitis, liver, and hepatitis basically means liver inflammation. Any inflammatory problem in the body um, it can be quite serious, but the liver is one of our main detoxification processing pathways. And when that is not working properly, you can have real issues and it can lead to death. And worldwide now, only in countries where the vaccines are being pushed on children, uh, but we believe that these are happening in adults as well, but probably uh, other causes are being put down to it. Hepatitis in a child is very rare. So um, this form of hepatitis is being reported in mainstream media around the world, but no mainstream media is actually linking the hepatitis with the COVID jab, even though it only started when the COVID jab started targeting children. Um, they're looking for the reason. They can't figure out why, why so many children are now getting this serious liver condition and some are dying. Um, so this is the expose, which is an excellent British um, online newspaper. They are being seriously suppressed. They've been, um, they've lost their funding sources. Um, I think all credit card companies have deleted them. PayPal has deleted them. 
Uh, I think the only way they can get funding now is by bank transfer and also by, um, uh, what do you call it, cryptocurrency. So if, if you are in a position to help them, I give a small donation to them every month. They really do amazing work. Uh, but this article talks about how the correlation between the jabs and this form of hepatitis is more than just a coincidence. And here is another report out of the UK. Um, this one is from LifeSite News. British children up to 52 times more likely to die following a COVID jab. So we have children who are absolutely not at risk of death from COVID infections. If there is such a thing as a COVID infection. They weren't at risk from influenza infections either, though the government will tell you different. Um, but they are 52 times more likely to die following the COVID jab. Why are we still targeting children who have their whole lives ahead of them with these jabs that can only harm them, can't help them? And parents are giving these jabs because they've been told by the media, by the government and by the doctors that their children need these and they believe that lie. Doctors, if you are administering these jabs to children, you are guilty, guilty of possibly homicide, certainly guilty of grievous bodily harm. You need to wonder whether your conscience is more important than your paycheck. Um, I honestly cannot imagine how you get out of bed in the morning and go to work, how you look your children, your wife, your partner, whatever, in the eye after what you do in the office and the surgery all day. There is no excuse for this. You have to stop. You have to stop. Uh, they, you know, Just following orders did not work in World War II, and it's not going to work with you either. Uh, anyway, excuse me for getting upset. Um, here is another news story, remdesivir. Remdesivir is uh, an, a repurposed drug that's been around for about 20 years. It was deadly when it came out, and it's deadly now. Supposedly, it's going to help people who get COVID, but what it does is it kills a lot of people who get COVID. Um, there are nurses and whistleblowers all over the world who are saying people came into the hospital, they were ill, but they weren't dreadfully ill. They were given remdesivir within 24 hours, they were dead. Now, the Food and Drug Administration has approved, without testing, without any evidence, uh, remdesivir for infants babies. They're going to give this to babies as young as six weeks, I believe. Six weeks of age? Four weeks of age. Four weeks and older. The number of children who are going to be dying from this treatment does not bear thinking about. But the Food and Drug Administration has approved it, which means it's only a matter of time before the Therapeutic Goods Administration uh, approves it and before the Ministry of Health in the UK approves it, because what the US does, the rest of the world follows. And we really and truly need to stop this, this genocide, uh, this infanticide that's going on. And speaking of infanticide, sorry, I have to come back to this. Um, speaking of infanticide, a law was just passed in California that babies can be aborted, and they use that word aborted, up to 28 days after birth. And what that basically means is that if a mother or a father or 
a doctor neglects a child, doesn't feed it, abuses it, whatever, and it dies, that's going to be considered an abortion and it's perfectly legal. Now, we are to believe that a government that can approve that sort of murder, which is what it is, actually cares about our health so much that they're passing laws about masking and vaccination and social distancing and mandates and all of this stuff because they care about our health. I'm sorry, but that's rubbish. That is absolute rubbish. They don't care one bit about our health. These are... These are Nazis. These are the same sort of people who would have been the, the guards, the people who pushed you into the oven in Treblinka and in all of the concentration camps. They are not people that we should look up to. They are not people we should obey on. They are not people who should be in positions of power. They should be in jail. Okay, so approving remdesivir for infants, approving remdesivir for anyone when it's been shown to kill people is a public health measure. And again, public health means your health doesn't matter, but for the greater good, we can say that you have to die. And that is not something that I can put up with. And I don't think any of you watching this can put up with it either. So let's look at the latest figures. 2.1 in every thousand doses, not person. So if a person gets four doses, that would be four times higher, that rate of uh, reaction. So out of every thousand doses of the COVID jab, 2.1 people are reporting a reaction. Now, many years ago, there was a medical definition of a rare event in medicine. And a rare event was something that happened more than one in 10,000. Anything under one in 10,000 was considered common. And people were supposed to be warned about it. There was actually a, a legal case about this. Um, oh, my goodness. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, uh, it's going to come to me later on, but I can't remember it now. And so 2.1 in 1,000 doses for a reaction is outrageously high. And yet the Therapeutic Goods Administration and the Department of Health, Brendan Murphy in the Department of Health, he can't see a safety signal here. There's one other thing I want to point out. Well, two other things, sorry. 120,000 adverse event reports have been given to the TGA since the COVID jab started in February last year, February 2021. So just over a year. That is more reaction reports than all reactions to vaccines since we started keeping track of vaccine reaction reports. The government is saying 57 million doses have been administered. That is such a gross, gross inflated number because that is how many doses have been distributed. But a great, a large number of those doses have been thrown away because they were never administered. The government is outright lying here. And my God, I wish they would take me to court over this because I would make them prove that that is a lie. I know it's a lie. We have whistleblowers from the Pharmacy Guild, from different medical practices, from clinics around the country who are saying they are throwing away thousands of doses every month in their own 
clinic. So this is just a lie and the government is getting away with it. This is from the latest report, the TGA safety report for the COVID jab. And calling it a safety report is actually, it's like an oxymoron. <laughs> Um, it's just ridiculous. So vaccine safety in children and adolescents. This is from the same report. The TGA is closely monitoring adverse event reports in people aged under 18 years. What they're doing is they're watching and they're collecting numbers. They are not really monitoring because nobody is following up. Nobody is taking this seriously. We have over 800 deaths and the TGA still says only 11 of them were linked to the jab. And that is just a lie. So to the 24th of April, 2022, so from January 10th to the 24th of April, because the jabs only started in this age group on the 10th of January, there were 4,100 reports of reactions um, from Pfizer and Moderna, which are the only vaccines that are being administered in this age group. 4,100 reports, they're trying to minimize it by saying out of 3.6 3 million doses. But the fact is 4,100 children in that age group would not have had serious cases of COVID. In fact, unless they had severe underlying conditions, zero cases of serious COVID would have been reported in that age group. So every single one of these adverse reaction reports is unnecessary and a tragedy. In the 5 to 11-year-olds, sorry, in the, that was the 12 to 17-year-olds. I may have misspoken before. In the 5 to 11-year-olds, which started on the 10th of January, my apologies, um, there were 1,300 reports. These include things like heart attacks, like chest pain. Here, it says the most common reactions included chest pain, vomiting, fever, headache, and abdominal pain. Now, chest pain was number one in both of these age groups. How many children have you ever known ever, ever, who had chest pain? Tell me. I'd love to know. How many children have you ever known who had chest pain? I've never known one, and I've known plenty of children. Um, so the fact that that is the most common reaction is concerning, very, very concerning. But the government is totally ignoring it. They're saying there is no safety signal, and there have been deaths in this age group, and those deaths were not even put into this report. They were not even put into this report. But I want to have some good news. I really do want to have some good news. Uh, the Italian court, uh, I think it's the high court in Italy. Oh, sorry, it's Sicily's Court of Administrative Justice has ruled that mandatory vaccination is unconstitutional and that fatal side effects are too risky to take the chance of sorry, mandating the jab. Um, so we really and truly are seeing some sense, some, you know, actual thought uh, coming out in world courts. Not in Australia yet, but we're seeing it in world courts. And in New Zealand, much to Jessica Ardern's um, dismay, uh, the High Court has quashed her vaccine mandate for police and defense forces, only for police and defense forces. And this is sort of a, an up and down decision because if I'm reading it correctly, um, what they've said is the government can't mandate it, but the police and the defense force can. 
So as long as the federal government hasn't mandated it, it's okay. I may be reading it wrong, but that's my reading of it. Um, and talking about court cases, uh, I was hoping to be able to share this. I have a newsletter that's ready to go out since Friday. On Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night. Oh my God, one day is merging into another. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure it was on Thursday night. I did a wonderful interview myself, Julian Gillespie, who is the former barrister who's been advising the AVN, um, uh, Katie, who is our new, Katie Ashby Coppins, who is our new uh, instructing solicitor, Peter Pham, unfortunately, but we love Katie too. Uh, Peter Pham has had to leave because he's having his first little fam, and we wish him all the best with that, him and his wife. And uh, so Katie Ashby Coppins was there, and also Philip Altman, who I mentioned a little earlier, um, we were all on a Zoom call with parents with questions. Adam Gibson invited us to come on there. And it was a great call. It was all about the AVN's case. Now, a lot of you have been asking what is happening with the case. And I'll explain to you very clearly and very simply. At this point in time, we are in limbo. That is not to say that there is not work going on because we have... So much evidence, I hope the government is watching this, I'm, I'm sure they are, but we have so much evidence right now of the government's negligence, of Brendan Murphy's inability or unwillingness, I don't know what it is, to do his job and to protect the health of Australians, that if I were the government, I would be trying very hard to stop this case as well. What happened was, on the 23rd of March, we had our hearing on standing. And for those of you who haven't seen the videos or read the information that we've put out since then, standing basically means um, if you have standing, you have a reason to be in court on an issue. Uh, there's a much more legal way to say it, but I don't know the words. Uh, but basically, um, the AVN as an organization that's been in existence for almost 30 years and that has uh, been active on this issue that represents thousands of people whose family members have been either injured or killed by vaccines, who has uh, filed, you know, gone to government and, and lobbied. We got the conscientious objector cause put in. We helped get the federal uh, Senate the inquiry into no jab, no pay. We have written submissions um, over the years, you know, many, many submissions. And all of this was put into our affidavit. Uh, and we have helped people report their reactions to vaccines before the vaxxed bus. We've been doing this for decades. So that was our reason for standing. And um, we had so much precedent, so much law that showed that we do have standing that we were pretty confident that there wasn't going to be any problems. But we did have a co-applicant uh, in Mark Neugeberger. And Mark has lost his job because he will not take the COVID jab. And he also has a foster child who the state of South Australia is trying to force uh, vaccinate. So he doesn't just have standing on one matter. He has standing on both the children's issue, which is one of the matters we wanted to um, get to court first, 
and the mandamus case, which is the case where we're asking um, the court to um, say that the <clears throat> that the head of the Department of Health, Brendan Murphy, uh, needs to cancel or suspend the provisional approvals for the COVID jabs. So we were pretty confident that either one or both of us were going to get up on the standing issue. And again, as I said, we had tons of precedent, no problem with precedent. So it was a shock when Her Honor the judge said that both of us did not have standing. She made the decision in a week and she said she would provide her reasons. Now, until Her Honor provides her reasons, we cannot appeal. We are ready, willing, and able to appeal. But we can't do it until she gives us her reasons in writing. And we have been gently pushing. You can't push hard on a judge, but we have been gently pushing. I don't even know if pushing is the right word, nudging or, you know, slightly touching. Uh, we've been trying to be really gentle about it. But as time goes on, and her honor did acknowledge several times throughout the whole case from the beginning until her standing issue that this is an urgent case and as an urgent case it needs to be treated urgently but I personally am not seeing a lot of urgency because it's been five weeks I think since we had our hearing or close to five weeks it isn't exactly five weeks but close to five weeks and we still don't have the reasons in writing so we can't appeal we are ready to go the minute those reasons are given so if she comes back on monday and says here are our reasons then as far as i'm concerned on tuesday we're going to be filing an appeal now money I have to talk about money. I hate to. I hate to because the generosity of our community, look at this, we've raised almost $500,000. Her Honor split the case. First of all, we had to go to a, a standing hearing, which according to everything I've been told is usually not a separate hearing. Um, but the government asked for it, so the government got it. Normally, standing would be dealt with at the beginning of the substantive hearing. So when we went for the hearing on uh, whether or not the 5 to 11-year-old's decision should be overturned, right at the beginning of that hearing, we should have dealt with standing. It might have taken an hour out of the day. And that hearing itself should have only taken one day. Uh, and the mandamus case about uh, canceling or suspending the provisional approvals was another day. So we, we ended up spending a lot more money because we had to have this separate hearing just on standing. Now we're going to have to file an appeal and there is a possibility that in order to do that we are going to have to pay something called security of costs. And security of costs is something that the government may ask for. And that basically is saying um, it cost us X number of dollars to take this case. You know, you've, you've called us to court. Therefore, you have to pay us X number of dollars as like a down payment so that if you lose the case, we're going to be covered. So we've been told that that could be between eighty dollars and $120,000. On top of what we already planned for, we would have had the money to cover all of our expenses had the case been run 
the way that I believe it should have been run, which is it's an urgent case. You go straight to court and both sides give their information, their evidence, their everything, and a decision is made. But that's not the way this case was run. We had to go for the standing hearing and Her Honor split the case into two with two separate dates. The case on the five to 11 year olds was one case and the case on the mandamus was another case, totally separate. So that's three court dates, three separate um, hearings that needed to be prepared for. So our, our costs have blown out. There's no two ways about it. We have had to increase our goal to $725,000. The good thing is, if we win the appeal, and we feel very strongly that we will win the appeal, because the appeal is going to be before the full bench of the federal court, three of the most experienced judges in Australia who have been on the bench for a very long time. And there's three of them, not one. So it's much less likely that there will be any problems with making this decision. Um, so if we win the appeal, then the security of costs comes back to us. And then we go to the case and what we are hoping and I wish I could explain this as well as Julian has, but what we are hoping is that um, because the full bench has already gotten their heads around the case, there's a lot of pages, a lot of information, a lot of references, um, because the federal court, the full bench, has already read all the information, that we want them, the full court, to actually be the decision maker and to hear the case and we hope that it will be heard as one case, the uh, 5 to 11 year old decision and the mandamus case. And I will be interviewing um, Philip Altman, Dr. Philip Altman very soon. I have to find a way of doing it that is not on Facebook because this is ridiculous um, being censored like this. But when I interview Dr. Philip Altman, he's, he's provided an affidavit for our case. And he is someone who's had 40 years of experience in uh, pharmaceutical regulatory issues in Australia. And he says that it is a, a lay down misere, this case, because the government made so many mistakes in approving the 5 to 11 year old uh, jabbing that it's not going to be an issue at all. And that's probably, probably why the, uh, the government asked for the case to be split up, why the government asked for a separate hearing on standing, because they are doing everything they can to avoid dealing with this issue, because they know as well as we do, as well as we know, that they will not be able to stand in court and defend their decision to approve this jab for young children. They just won't. So I have been talking a lot about this. Um, what I'd like to ask everybody, and I love the way that Adam Gibson did this at, at Parents with Questions, and hopefully tomorrow um, we will have the video and I will share it in the newsletter uh, that goes out to all of our members and all the people who subscribe to our free email newsletter. Um, what Adam Gibson said is that this is our moment in history. There is nothing more important than getting this case into court and winning it, nothing. Um, because this will stop 
If we win this case, this will stop the mandates. This will stop what the government has planned down the track. This will stop them from thinking they can get away with anything they want to get away with because nobody is opposing them. This is the most important thing that we can do. And the link to the Give, Send, Go is right at the bottom. If you want to just go givesendgo.com forward slash AVN Judicial Review Fund, you will find this page, whatever you can give. And what Adam did on the meeting, it was just amazing. I've never seen anything like it. He said, I'm giving you five minutes. Go and make a donation now. Whatever you do, just make a donation now. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm not good at this. I am really not good at fundraising or asking for money. And especially when everybody has been so incredibly generous all along. And especially when I know so many people are suffering because of all the floods. If you are in that situation, don't give anything. Please don't. Even if you think you should, even if you think $2.50, don't do it. Keep the money for yourself. But if you are able to help, please do. And one thing I can tell you is, and this is in the terms on the, on the Give, Send, Go website, you'll see. If anybody donates $500 or more, at the end of the case, if there is any money left over, um, it will be refunded on a pro rata basis. Julian estimated that that means about 40 cents on the dollar. So if you give $500, you could get $200 back. That is today. There's no guarantee. We could have nothing left. We could have a lot of money left. We don't know. But please, if you are able to go to the Give, Send, Go page and donate, we would really appreciate it. It would be incredibly helpful to us. So um, I'm just leaving it there. If you're doing it, great. If not, I understand completely. But think about it. This is our moment in time. This is our moment to make a difference, a positive difference to the world. And now that I've asked you for money for the fundraiser, I'm going to go on to the Australian Vaxxed bus. Now, I don't know how many of you are aware, but the Vaxxed bus drowned in the floods. Um, our beautiful Vaxxed bus was destroyed by the floods. Between one and a half and two meters of water went through the bus where it was stored, and it was a total write-off. We have found and purchased another bus. It is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and it is being wrapped. It's going to have the same exact wrap that we had on the old bus. Um, it's being wrapped on the 24th of May. Now, I have to give a shout-out to Emma Wiseman, who actually, we couldn't have done this without you, Emma. Um, Emma Wiseman, who is a photographer, a professional photographer, and I will get a link to her business. She gave it to me, and I forgot. I should have put it up there, too. Um, Emma took pictures of every single signature that was on that bus, and then she got the graphic for the wrap. You know, it says vax.com on one side. We are not government property, powered by the members of the AVN. All of that. What she did painstakingly, it took her days. She put every single signature on the wrap exactly where it was on the old bus. Incredible, incredible dedication and love to do that. So when the wrap is printed, all the signatures that were on the bus will be printed on the wrap. So they're going to be permanent in the wrap, basically. That's what it means. The issue is that the new bus 
for the contents, we did have contents insurance, but because we had just come back from Canberra and I still had all the stock on there, um, we lost more than we recovered for. So the contents, the cost of the new bus, I mean, I don't know how many of you have looked up the price of vans and buses or vans and motorhomes right now. It's actually a motorhome, but they've gone up like crazy because COVID, the only way that people can travel is by road and everybody wants a motorhome. We were very lucky to get this one. So that, the cost of the wrap, which is just $10,000 and $6,000 for stamp duty. So we are spending out of the AVN's coffers about $40,000 more than we've gotten back from the insurance company. Um, we had the funds, but it's basically taken almost everything we have. I put out a call the other day because I just turned 64 and I said for my birthday, could you please give a small donation to the Vaxxed bus? And we got about $2,500 in, which was wonderful. Um, but we're still short. So, I mean, I'm short to begin with. I can't help it. I was born that way. Sorry. Um, but if you are able to give a donation again if you are suffering yourself forget about it make believe I didn't even say anything you can use that tiny URL or you can go to avn.org.au click on the shop link and then type in in the search you see the little magnifying glass there members donation to a stra a members donation to vaxed bus um, or you can just put in vaxed bus and you'll find it you can give any amount from $5 up. So if you are able to help out, if you are able to do anything like that, that would be so appreciated. So thank you very much in advance for that. Um, and one more thing. Uh, for I, Because Facebook is censoring us, because it's very possible that we're not going to be on most mainstream social media platforms very soon, um, I think that it's really important that everybody subscribes to our email newsletter. It is free. You do not need to be a member, though, of course, if you want to be a member, I would not complain if you did this. Um, but if you are able to, uh, to become a member, sorry, let's try that again. I'm trying to do two things at one time. If you would like to subscribe to our newsletter, and I am sending one out tomorrow with a lot of information and a lot of links, more than I've covered tonight, um, then please go to avn.org.au. The link is up there. At the very bottom of the homepage, you'll see this join our newsletter, um, and you will see that um, that all you have to do is put in your email address and you will be able to sign up for our newsletter and uh, you'll get all of the information every time we send out a newsletter. Sorry for being distracted. I remember now that there was one other thing I was supposed to share and I can't find it, but I'll tell you and I will share it in the newsletter. It is in the newsletter already. And that is on the 14th of May. You know that on the 21st, um, it's the federal election. And on the 14th of May, there is a nationwide rally called Sack Them All. And it's going to be all about getting rid of the dead wood in government, which is probably 95% of the people who are currently in government. Um, there are people like Alec Ant Alex Antic and... Um, 
and Gerard Rennick and George Christensen, who I'm so happy. He retired from Parliament and then he came straight back and he's running for One Nation. And I'm so happy that he hasn't left because he's a gem. He's someone who is really and truly worth his weight in gold. And, um, and uh, Malcolm Roberts and Pauline Hansen and uh, Craig Kelly, all of these people are out there pushing for informed choice. And that, to me, I'm a one-issue voter at this point in time. I want to get rid of the mandates. I want to get rid of any form of compulsory vaccination. So if you are able to go to the rally near you, and there are going to be dozens of rallies around Australia, um, there is information in the AVN's newsletter. So make sure that you go to avn.org.au and sign up for it. The newsletter is going out sometime tomorrow. And um, just share it, share this information, share this video if you can, uh, share the link to it, um, not just on Facebook, on any other social media that you're on. We need to get this information out as widely as we possibly can and make sure that you become part of the solution. Make sure that you are brave and you actually speak up, speak your truth, always, Always. Don't be afraid of someone who gets angry with you because you've told them the truth. If you speak with love, whether it's to your brother who's not talking to you because you didn't get your jab, or to a stranger on the street who yells at you for not wearing a mask, speak your truth with love, gently, and with kindness. And you may get a bit of a, a you know, a, a bad reaction, but in your heart, you will know that you have reached that person, maybe not at the moment, but you will have reached them some point down the track. And when they realize how much they've been lied to, even if they never see you again, they'll thank you in their heart. So remember, you are the one who will solve this problem. I won't. The AVN won't. You will. All of us together, we will do that. So I hope to see you all in Brisbane on the 14th, where I'll be. And I hope that all of you will be going to your nearest rally on the 14th of May and that you will all be sharing this um, edition of Under the Wire. I can't tell you when the next one is going to be on because I am trying to work out a way of doing it. And it may be through Rumble. I may just go live on Rumble and announce it on Facebook. Uh, I don't really know because I have trouble with Rumble, but um, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to work it out. But whatever the case may be, we will be coming back to you in the next week to two weeks at the most. And um, just keep watching this space on my personal Facebook page and also on the AVN Facebook page because at this point I can still share um, posts. I just can't share live streams. Um, so watch out for that on Facebook and watch out for it on Twitter and on all the other social media platforms. And I wish you all the very best. I wish you all the very best of health and the very best of happiness. And I will be seeing you again soon from Under the Wire, from me and from the AVN. I hope you have a wonderful evening and take care. See you. Bye bye.